0: divine design, from him, the whole body, joined and held together from every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The church is crippled because people are immature. We all are. <laughs> the sooner we admit that. The more honest we're being and therefore the more mature we're being. And the answer for immaturity, and I mentioned that the church has often really, really hurt people, but the answer for immaturity is not to take your ball and go home. That is immature. The answer for immaturity is to have the maturity to care enough about the mission that you connect with the local assembly, and you contribute to it. There is no plan B. Care. Commit. Contribute. We can get all hung up in ourselves with all of these very deep reasons why we don't do those things. And those reasons are not invalid, but they're insufficient excuses. In the end, Jesus and his apostles are very clear that if you care, you will commit. And if you're committed, you will contribute. Jesus did until his last breath. It was worth that effort to him. That's come up throughout our, our whole service and the songs we sang and everything in Mark's devotional. It was worth that effort to him until his last breath Since it was worth it to him, is it worth it to you? Care. Commit. Contribute. We're in a passage in Ephesians 4 that's trying to get to this idea of how the body really shows the world Christ more fully. To the point where the whole body is working together down to every ligament. And that's why leadership exists. That's how this passage starts with the part we're focusing on today, um, just verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers to equip the saints, to equip the body, to get the whole body working together. And that's what so many people miss about leadership. The church, the culture in general, and the church continues to write and write and write and write book after book after book after book and some of them are good and i'm not saying they're inv- that they're not valuable about strategic leadership about coming up with a better plan about doing all these things and you actually see very little of that in the bible itself and where it said it's kind of said this is the foundational stuff so stick with this And really the strategy comes in trying to figure out how you do that in your culture. And that is every generation, every local setting has to figure that out. But we act like the crisis in the church is a failure of leadership strategically. Timothy Dalrymple, he's the editor for Christianity Today, said a friend recently asked me for my opinion on the greatest challenge confronting American evangelicalism. He listened patiently as I offered a few thoughts. After Dalrymple was done, his friend said, there's a deeper problem beneath these things. It's a crisis of leadership. But he's not talking strategically. The more Dalrymple thought about it, he said, the more I've considered the matter, the more I consider his words both true and ironic. An older generation of American evangelical leaders has passed away, or passed the baton. When it comes to the younger generation, Scarcely a week passes when we do not have another noteworthy Christian leader suffering a deeply destructive fall from grace. That's always happened, but it's epidemic now. The ironic part is this. Evangelicals produce and consume countless books, seminars, and events on leadership. We have a thriving Christian leadership industry. There are people who make a good amount of money by promoting it. Yet, we are starving for Christ-like leaders. Why is there so much leadership content and so little leadership character? It's Timothy Dalrymple. Simon Sinek, and many people have heard of him, and Simon Sinek's great for the culture with what he talks about with leadership. He said this, Leaders need empathy and perspective. Their job is not about being in charge. Their job is to take care of people in their charge. I'm going to repeat that. Their job is not about being in charge. Their job is needing to figure it out. (laughs) Their job is to take care of the people in their charge. And Sina goes on to say, people don't train for this. Our whole culture isn't geared that way. When we start at something, our only responsibility is to get good at what we do. Imagine in the culture, getting your entry level job and you're assigned these tasks and you get performance reviews. So you get like, if you get really good at what you do, you get promoted. And then you get really good at what you do. You have your job description, you carry it out and you get promoted. And eventually you get promoted and you're the point person and you have no idea how to take care of people. So what you end up with is managers, not leaders. That's Sinek. This is me, okay? This is very problematic because we get territorial about what we excel at. What we've gotten really good at, it's hard not to get attached to. We, as Peter Tagg says, we theologize our methodologies. We don't say we're doing that but we try to moralize and spiritualize the way we do things so that we can claim the high ground when the person who's following us doesn't do it the way we do it. And so we become systemizers, really passing on our system, not coaches. not good at taking care of the people in our charge, more determined to pass on the system we've built. Because it's right. Now, that's new, Dalrymple from a Christian community, Synec, more talking about the culture. Let's go back a few years. How about to St. Gregory, 540 A.D.? It's the Bishop of Rome and he, uh-oh, turn it off, turn it back on, there we go. So that's last week and I'm gonna roll through that. We're gonna, if we want to cooperate on the back of your bulletin in God's work of art that is you, then you want to emphasize leadership character, not strategy. Not because strategy doesn't have its place. Being, not doing. Not because doing doesn't have its place. All right. So Gregory, yeah. I mentioned, Dalrymph on Sinax, so here's St. Gregory. That's when he lived. He was, when he was told that the previous Bishop of Rome had selected him to be the next Bishop of Rome, he hid for three days, hoping that if he disappeared, they would just have to go on without him. <laughs> they didn't. Even as Bishop of Rome, he insisted on maintaining a very simple lifestyle and spent a lot of his time serving the poor. He was the most powerful single position in Christianity. And so he talked about what you need in your pastors, your bishops, your leaders. And I want you to just admire the brilliant strategy here. No. You can break it up into... One list I saw broke up into 12 categories. I tried to update the language a little bit to make, but he kind of just rolled through 12 things. Okay, here's what you want to look for in a leader: He already lives spiritually, dying to all the passions of the sinful nature. So you want to be able to observe him for a long time. Isn't that what Paul says to Timothy? Okay. Number two: Who disregards worldly prosperity? As far as a model, if the person's had an opportunity to get into adult life and work in the business world, I kind of want to see them taking pay cuts to go into ministry so nobody's questioning their calling. Disregard worldly prosperity. Number three, he's undaunted by adversity. (laughs) It doesn't stop him. Number four, who only desires inward wealth. Doesn't care about the outer stuff. Number five, Whose intention, his intention, the body in harmony with that intention does not hinder at all by its frailness. You have to have a robust constitution and you've got to take care of your body. What did Paul say? I beat my body, and make it my slave because it's draining and you've got to be robust. And if you are just innately have challenges, Paul had them. Well, God will give grace for that. I'm talking about your mentality and your ability to stay on top of your body. Pastors struggle with obesity, health issues at a significantly higher rate than the population. And we know how great our population is at that. Now, whose intention the body in harmony with that intention does not hinder at all by its frailness, nor the spirit hinder that intention by its pride, disdain, and criticism. Yeah, you know, we get so critical. And that's that old talking about, there's kind of like your animalistic physical vices, they're bad. The worst ones are spiritual, pride, looking down on people. You know, that's far worse. That's far more devilish. But he's saying the person must rise above both. Number six, one who is not led to covet the things of others, but gives freely of his own who through the sympathy of compassion is quickly moved to pardon. He actually is really good at letting stuff go. Yet has never bent down from the fortress of right behavior to enable and encourage wicked behavior. And enable and encourage is important. Yeah, it's, we throw around that word enabling a little bit lightly today, but there is enabling behavior where you're actually helping someone be bad. <laughs> like morally bad. I'm not talking about the normal training of children and things like that. And so you have to have someone who's quick to pardon, but doesn't slip into that. That's not easy. Number eight, who who perpetrates no wicked deeds, yet deplores those perpetrated by others as though they were his own, which of course means you need to hate your own. (laughs) A lot of people in leadership deplore your wicked deeds, but hide their own. So they don't deplore their own. It's a mark on the communion talking about, look, I need to do this. Like, I should be so bothered by my own vices that when I see it in you, it disturbs me because it would upset me that much. Not because I'm like mad at you, but that's how hard I am on myself. Not condemning, but holding myself accountable. Number nine, who out of affection of heart sympathizes with another's infirmity and so rejoices in the good of his neighbor as though it were to his own advantage. Number 10, who so insinuates, see, this is not over the top, in your face, crashing into your life. Just over time, they are such an example to others in all that he does among them that he has nothing of his own deeds to be ashamed of. That people know him best but say he's the same person or she's the same person. Number 11, who studies, <laughs> keep learning. So, to live that he may be able to water even dry hearts with the streams of doctrine. Correct doctrine promotes health. Number 12, who has already learned by the use and trial of prayer that he can obtain what he needs and has requested from the Lord. So, he has that contentment and that grace based sufficiency. He's not a needy person. He has needs, but he's not a needy person. Now, I didn't see anything about strategy. I don't see that in 1 Timothy 3. And again, not to bash strategy, but we have a whole industry that acts like we're gonna solve the church's problems by uncovering some new approach. And we do need to be sensitive to our culture and the times we're in and kind of let the people, like the generation that's coming up in that culture, kind of figure that out. But what's gonna help them figure that out is helping them develop their character and holding them accountable. They need to hold themselves accountable. And that's what these apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral teaching kind of leadership positions are supposed to be doing is helping people grow. You are people builders, not empire builders, not program builders, not movement builders. People builders. Because if you emphasize character and being, then what you're teaching people to do is to embrace the designer by embracing your design and that's the idea of what the scriptures mean by perfect the understanding god's design and hanging on to that teleos that ideal and just you're not going to arrive in this life so there's that perfect you know ideal that nobody gets that's where perfectionists really struggle because they can't accept that nobody really lives up to the idea, including themselves, most of all themselves. Um, So there's that ideal that you have to have, but then this real pragmatic sense, oh, I messed up. Okay, let it go, focus on the idea again. Forget what's behind, oh, I had a great success. Okay, I had this incredible mountaintop experience with God. Okay, but it wasn't that thing. It was God that you experienced that thing and God's in front of you, heaven's in front of you. So whether it's your greatest success, Don't think you can mimic it and reproduce it like there's some automatic formula. Or your greatest failure, just that's past, let it go, look forward. This one thing I do. And everyone who is functionally perfect, mature, does that. I mentioned that from Philippians 3 last week. So that you come into the unity of the faith, a very intense personal knowing of Jesus. This is all in verse 13. And you are constantly, as soon as you realize you've gone astray, you don't get hung up on that, you just move forward. When you have this great mountaintop experience, you don't keep trying to recreate it. You just accept it, let that wave wash over you, move forward. So you can just keep growing. So Peter says at the end of his life, but just grow. Just keep growing in the grace and the knowledge of God. Grow up and out of immaturity. And verse 14 gives some signs of immaturity. He says, so that we may no longer be children. The idea of children there is very small children. Toddlers. Borderline pre-verbal. N- For the church, that's characterized by instability in the face of the pressures of different doctrines, different teachings, different worldviews, different standards of life. The way he says it here is tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So as you go living your life, and now in some ways more than ever because of the internet and how connected we are in that shallow way, you're getting hit with every wind of teaching, every kind of worldview, every kind of perspective, and the church is just getting tossed like, and that's really the picture he's painting, tossed to and fro is the same verb that's used in Luke when the fishermen were on the boat and the storm came up and the boat was just getting swamped the raging waters of Galilee. He said, yeah, but the church doesn't have to be that. No, you need to grow up. You don't need to be so whirled about. Actually, the the picture it's painting is of such a violent swinging about, you know, when you're kids and you hold your ear and spin the circle and then you step up and try to walk in a straight line. You're like, (laughs) you can't, right? You get so disoriented. You're so dizzy from all of this stuff you're getting hit with that you couldn't walk straight if you tried. We have to lock in to the faith. Not swung about. And to lock into the faith if you're going to grow up and out of maturity, you need to use the tools that God has provided. And here's the three C's I mentioned at the beginning of service. You've got to care. It says, here's how you grow up out of that. If you want to reach the fullness of Christ so you're no longer children, tossed to and fro, rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up. There's that phrase, speaking the truth in love. I love this phrase, Because speaking isn't even in the text. There's just like no way to say it. It's literally truthing people in love. So we like to say, well, there's truth people and there's love people. And actually, if you don't do both, you're not doing either. Well. Speaking is not really in the text. And truthing isn't really an English word, so we kind of have to like make it fit. Um, but in the Old Testament, if you take this, the, their own Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Hebrew peoples, this carried the idea of being constant. What did he just talk about? Not tossed to and fro? It carried the idea of being firm, of being enduring. Remember, he just talked about tossed to and fro and dizzy someone who's able to mediate, someone who's able to argue in a good sense, like, wait a minute, is that true? Um, We should maybe think about that and not be combative about it, just, is that true? Um, And even is used to translate that beautiful Hebrew word shalom. So someone who is speaking the truth in love is someone who is steady, who's solid, who's firm, who's committed to finish it, he will endure, He's willing to be a mediator and the mediator, think about Jesus, gets hated by both sides. I know this by experience. <laughs> Not every time. If you serve as a mediator and it works out, people think you're like the next thing to Jesus. And then you go in and you serve as a mediator and it doesn't work out and you are the worst counselor in the history of humanity. And I'm like, okay, I didn't realize that changed that much. Sometimes it's the same people (laughs) telling you you're awesome and then telling you you're the worst counselor in the history of humanity. But the mediator has a solidity to them that they're really just trying to find the truthful way. And they're not so concerned about whether you love them or hate them. Everybody wants to be loved. Nobody likes to be hated. But they have that shalom in them. In short, you have to ask in simplicity. You have to act in simplicity. You don't have a bunch of mixed motives. You're not folded in all these different layers of why you're doing this. You're coming in very simply and authentically. Not everything that's going on in verse 14, where people are trying to toss you to and fro and and manipulate you and play identity politics to keep you divided about lesser things so they can build a power coalition. It's sophistry in the Greek world, which was they argue any position to try to get a predetermined result. And you'll see this with people all the time who just are not at peace with reality as it is. And so they're going to grab things to win their perspective instead of just saying, is that true? And not really understanding that you're vulnerable to all this because of your lack of maturity. The world's not going to change. And so you got to own that and just I just need to grow up. This has been going on since Paul wrote. This has been going on since the Garden of Eden. It's going on now. And he's basically drawing a contrast of saying, don't get caught up in all that. Be different. Verse 15. That shows that you actually care. You're not operating out of a sense of threat. You're not thinking that the world's going to end and you're just going from apocalyptic thing to apocalyptic thing. Yes, the world's going to end. And Jesus said, you know, don't freak out about that. When you see the wicked one standing in the holy place claiming to be God, then you know. In the meantime, I got this. Well, Jesus, when's it going to happen? I don't know. I'm not worried about it. Jesus didn't need to know. You don't need to know. You just need to be that true thing in love person. That shows that you care. But if you care, you will connect. If you're doing that and you're just trying to be that person. Speaking the truth in love, so we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, literally, ligament. Every ligament. Paul bringing this shows his own deep understanding of the human body. Remember, Paul was someone who beat his body and made it his slave. He basically underwent MMA training in today's world. If you really unpack that First Corinthians 9 statement. He's like, I don't think he was an elite MMA fighter. He had major health issues and pain. But he understood that if I'm gonna become all things to all men and I'm gonna preach that you need to do that, I have to stay on top of my body. And he's talking about the body here, because every ligament, every joint, this is an amazing understanding of how the body works and Paul is the source of our inspiration that the church is the body of Christ. No other apostle even calls it that. The thing is, ligament and tendon strength is more important than muscle strength. If you're someone who's worked out a lot, you learn that. And if you don't learn it, you tear ligaments and you tear tendons and your muscles keep getting stronger and you just rip things off the bone as you get older. (laughs) Happened to Joe. Well, I kind of ripped it off your bone there. (laughs) That's actually true. Something I'm really ashamed of, but kind of proud of, too. (laughs) Um, You can ask him the story. But this, this every ligament, every tendon bringing his part, this whole body engagement is what produces strength. There's a guy named Mike Gillette, and in his 50s, accomplished all these strengths, you know, these, these feats of strength. He's muscular. But he can take, you know, one of those typical Teflon coated frying pans. And say, here, give me that, and he'll roll it up. He's not a big guy. He's muscular, he's in shape, but he's not a big guy. He says, it's because I have this ability to engage my whole body. It's like I literally feel my tendons and ligaments kind of jump off of my skeletal frame and <laughs> lock in. So Kyle, <laughs> come here. I talked to him beforehand. So, <laughs> whole body. Kyle's a big guy. Over here, this way. Don't let me move your arm. All right? Don't let me. Okay. Yeah, he's strong, right? So here we go. Don't let me move your arm. Bring it on. (laughs) Try again. Okay. Don't let me move your arm. Don't let me move your arm. Wow. Give it up. I'll be back. No. (laughs) It's not that. It's when you learn how to use your whole body, it's phenomenal what your own potential is. And your body actually knows how to do it. You've just trained yourself out of it. And see, this is what we do with individuals, even in the way we work out. We're like, I want a big bicep. So I focus on flexing that bicep and I want to show off that bicep. And so all my attention is going to that one muscle. When actually your extensor chain engages your whole body and makes you a lot stronger. And so you learn to do workouts that engage the whole body. But of course that means the muscle doesn't get to show off. And your attention doesn't go to one muscle. So we're putting all of our attention on the leader, the pastor, the one muscle. And he fails because he's not strong enough. And it's really the other way where you need to engage the whole body. And so the leader needs to be less noticed and better at engaging the whole body. And I would submit to you that the church doesn't do that. And it's not just that it doesn't work, it's anti-biblical because we admire that person because we want to be that person. It's ego. I don't care what culture you're from. I don't care about your background. It's ego. And leaders need to rise above that. So you can gain the whole body coming in. You connect and then you every part when every part contributes, then when each part is working properly together, it, the body of itself grows. It's a middle voice. It just does it. The body, because it's just designed to grow. And so it just does it. And this idea of when it's all working together properly, it's where we get our root, the metronome. What's the metronome, Mark? You. Right, what's the metronome help you do? Get everybody on time. <laughs> Get all the instruments working together. (laughs) It's often your drummer in a band, right? Is that right, Phil? The drummers basically help you do that. It's not about the drummer. It's about the drummer keep everybody on time. Because that's more powerful. And maybe people don't notice that, but they notice, wow. I was very moved by that performance. See, deep down inside, we want to be the soloist. So we can be, wow. You want to get the whole body involved. When each part is working properly, that potential strength takes the whole body working in one measure, one metro. The law of the measure, it takes the whole body. And that is how we need to define maturity correctly. It's not that the numbers grow, they may, they may not. It's not what he's talking about here. The body grows, and Paul doesn't mention numbers, grows in love. So the body builds itself up in love. That's the sign of maturity. For that to happen, you have to commit to the process, but that's next week. Commit to the process. You have to be in it. Don't take your ball and go home. Stay in the process. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day and this time. Help us to be one body and each one care connect, and contribute so we can show here in this local assembly where all of us have a part to play, more of your ideal for the church. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.